This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Hanan. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a great show today, but but before we go to our show, you know, we, we want to send our deep uh, sympathies and, and uh, show of real deep concern and sad and loss, sadness and loss for all of our our brothers and sisters in in Libya and well, obviously in Morocco too. But uh, it's been a catastrophic time after the flooding in Libya. You know, almost twelve thousand people have died, and they're still looking for bodies. It's a real tragedy. We don't have time to talk about that today, but we want to know to our community out in Libya that uh, we're thinking about you all and about this tragic loss. But what we do have today in terms of Arab talk are some really big stories, Jamal. We had been talking about the, quote, normalization between the apartheid state of Israel and Saudi Arabia. And there's big cold water that was thrown on that today when it was leaked uh, through Saudi uh, intermediaries that that has put on hold. Uh, MBS has put that on hold because of lack of progress on the Palestine issue that he felt coming from the apartheid state. So we're going to cover that. We're also going to talk about Bet Salem exposing more Israeli pogroms and ethnic cleansing in uh, in Palestine. It's a really uh, kind of impressive uh, uh, you know report that they've done. We're going to cover that in some detail. But before we get to that. We're going to look at an interview that you did with Stanley Cohen, who's going to talk about why the ADL continues to be the so-called standard bearer of human civil rights, despite its dark history of spying on Americans on behalf of the apartheid state and South Africa. It's a really great interview, Jamal. Yes, it is. And uh, especially now we're seeing uh, Benjamin Netanyahu meeting with Elon Musk. And at the same time, there is a a feud, uh, an ongoing feud between Elon Musk and and the ADL. Let's uh, watch Stanley Cohen. The Anti-Defamation League established in the early 20th century wields its moral authority as a self-described anti-hate organization. Its stated mission is to stop defamation of the Jewish people and to secure justice and fair treatment to all. In practice, It shores up the United States as the protector of Israel in tandem with advocating for it. It works to codify conflating criticism of Israel and Zionism with anti-Semitism. This would effectively muzzle activism against Israel's apartheid and ongoing ethnic cleansing of the indigenous Palestinian population by labeling it anti-Semitic. In a 2021 ADL meeting, CEO Jonathan Greenblatt escalated support for Israel by equating anti-Zionist human rights organizations who advocate for Palestinian rights with white nationalists. Some of the groups he named happen to be Jewish. Although it states a commitment to human rights, in 1993 the FBI raided the ADL San Francisco offices and found thousands of files on activists and human rights organizations it had collected over three decades. Some had been shared with the Israeli Mossad and the apartheid South African government. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is human rights attorney and activist Stanley Cohen to discuss how it is that media organizations and governmental agencies in the U.S. still consider the ADL to be the standard bearer 
of human rights and civil rights. Welcome back to Arab Talk, Stanley. Thank you. I, I, my pleasure to be here. It's always an honor. So let's begin. Can you lay out the Anti-Defamation League's history and how it has become the default expert on racism and human rights? ADL has always been a convenient ploy. Whatever you need, whenever you need it, whatever rhetoric serves your geopolitical agenda, they wave their arms and they say, we speak for you, we speak with you, as long as you rubber stamp us. ADL, since day one, has done little but to perpetuate what Zionism started 135 years ago, which is this distorted, perverse, illogical, and false narrative that Judaism and Zionism and Israel are one and the same. And coming from that merge, that marriage, that if you challenge Zionism, if you challenge Israel, you are necessarily anti-Semitic, ADL has worked that to a T, building relationships on occasion with with progressive groups and progressive movements, uh, at times with uh, black movements in this country that are fighting for civil rights and justice by perpetuating this myth, this distortion, this lie. It speaks for nothing other than the Zionist agenda. It is funded directly or indirectly or perhaps even directly by Israel and Zionists. It, it would, would basically sell rafts in the Sinai desert if it thought it would produce the propaganda that is necessarily embraced by neoliberals in the United States. Keep in mind that Israel has been a dutiful proxy of the United States since 1948, that even though there is periodic tension, uh, Israel jumps as long as the United States pays. And as long as Israel demands and the United States gets what it wants, it gladly writes the check. In between is the conduit of Greenblatt and the ADL, which served the Zionist agenda, which on the one hand claimed to speak on behalf of and in furtherance of human rights, of equality and justice and dignity, but are anything but. As far as ADL is concerned, there is only one issue, and that is the nation state, the supremacist Jewish state, And, and the survival of, of the nation state, which perpetuates Judaism to the exclusion of all other races, all other beliefs, all other religions. It's, it's, it's a pretext. It's a scam. It's been going on for decades. And it's taken a new, even more pernicious turn over the last decade in particular, as it has begun this, this effort to intimidate faculty, to intimidate students, to, intim to intimidate progressives, to intimidate those people who do, do nothing more than simply challenge Israel, than simply confront Zionism. We're not talking about people involved in, in acts of violence. We are not talking about persons who are urging acts of violence. We are simply talking about women and men, students, young women and men, the next generation saying no to Israel, saying no to Zionism. This has become merged and now under the Greenblatt ADL is anti-Semitic. And the people that support Israel, and the people that Israel embrace in the United States body politic are all too willing to embrace it because it gives them and gets them what they need as well. Jonathan Greenblatt reports out frequently on trends in anti-Semitism since uh, the, the ADL basically has been established, right? However, the ADL considers any criticism of Israel and or Zionism anti-Semitic. This makes assessing the real threat of white supremacy and anti-Semitism 
in this country unreliable, don't you think so? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's been this convenient marriage. Marriage. It's funny how I don't hear Greenblatt say a word with Zionists marching in occupied Quds screaming death to Arabs. Um, it's funny when the when when the real Semites are Arabs or people from the Middle East that I don't hear a word spoken by the ADL or Greenblatt on behalf of the legitimate struggle of, the, of, 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 of Palestinians and Arab nations to be free from the illegal involvement and the international implication of what Israel does to them. So there's, part of the struggle here is, is to marriage and to merge with whatever groups can be manipulated. So you end up Greenblatt lying in bed with so-called evangelical Zionists who are white supremacists, who could care less about human rights, but they get from Greenblatt what Greenblatt gets from them. They get this convenient marriage, which allows them to perpetuate a deadly, dangerous, dangerous narrative, one that is untrue, one that is opposed to human rights, one that is lacking in international law, but it sells. And as long as we live in a country that is looking to sell votes, then the ADL will be only ready, willing, and able to provide it. There is a new campaign to smear the upcoming Palestine rights event at the University of Pennsylvania as anti-Semitic. Once again, pro-Zionists are pressuring the university to shut down the event or to at least disinvite Roger Waters, co-founder of the famous rock band uh, Pink Floyd. They falsely accuse him of anti-Semitic remarks, but all he has ever done is legitimately spoken the truth about ongoing atrocities perpetrated by Israel against Palestinians. The truth is the truth. Do you think the strategy in shutting down these discussions is to remove Israel from a debate it can never prevail in? Well, Israel can't survive in a battle of facts, where the truth rises in the marketplace of ideas, where the history of Israel, with the history of Zionism, with its violation of human rights and international law comes to the surface, it loses. So what does it do? It distorts when it must, and it quiets and shuts down when it can. The event in, in Pennsylvania, which I was planning to go to, but I'm not able to because I'm about to start a trial, is a wonderful event. It's the marketplace of ideas. No one is forcing anyone to go, to listen, to support, or to applaud. What Greenblatt and the ADL and Zionists conveniently overlook and forget is for centuries in this, cousin, in this country, Jews have been able to prevail and to excel in a marketplace of ideas which says, present yourself, present your ideas, present your beliefs, present your thoughts, and we will decide. But now when the marketplace has taken a look at Israel because of its history over the last 75 plus years, that marketplace has to be shut down. So the ADL and other, and, and, and other Zionist entities and organizations are engaged in a full-on attack on this gathering of writers, of actors, of performers, of intellectuals, of all different races, of all different religions, of all different colors, of all different identities. They want to quiet. They want to shut it down. And why? Because Zionism and the ADL fear truth. They fear the marketplace of ideas. They want to control it. Whatever there is to be said about Israel, whatever there is to be believed about Israel, whatever there is to be said or believed about Palestinians, the ADL wants to control it. And anything that runs contrary to that, they wish to deaden and silence. Under the First Amendment, there's a very simple acid test. You can close a book, you can change a station, you could leave a gathering and walk away. 
It does not give you the right to silence the gathering. The essence of free speech, the essence of assembly, the essence of association, which is the heartbeat of the United States, its experience is the ability for the marketplace of ideas to get different views, different arguments, and to make a decision. Israel fears it, Zionism fears it, the ADL fears it, and Greenblatt is terrified by the prospect because with the loss of integrity and honesty of Israel and, and, and Zionism, which is long gone by those of us that are aware of it and have fought it and have worked alongside community groups challenging it, we know it's gone. And as you take a look in this country, increasingly the big lie has become more difficult for the body politic to accept. It's terrorizing Israel, it's terrorizing Zionism, and it's terrorizing their mouthpiece in the United States, which is the ADL in general and Greenblatt in particular. Universities are supposed to be a safe zone for students, intellectuals, uh, professors to share ideas, etc. However, uh, and we've had many of, of, of the victims of, of the ADL and other organizations on our show, universities have been succumbing to the pressure, uh, you know, um, literally uh, silencing professors, uh, shutting down programs, uh, even uh, firing uh, uh, professors in this country and elsewhere. I mean, we've had the case of uh, Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi in San Francisco State University. We have another professor in Georgetown, uh, um, University of Washington, and, 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 and all over. Why are universities basically breaking that bond with its academia and siding with the ADL and other organizations? Well, it's interesting because Mensa, the National Organization, the Middle East Studies Association, thousands of faculty members, staff, supporters, and students, a number of years ago supported BDS and took a very public position that we support BDS, but more important, we support the necessity for the academic community to exchange ideas. You can't make decisions for yourself if someone else controls the information you're going to feed into that decision-making process. There is a clear connection these days increasingly between government, between political representatives, between um, lobbying organizations and entities that put great pressure on groups. The perfect example was, uh, you know, you've got even, even Jews, Finkelstein, That's loses right. his job. He lost his entire family to the Holocaust. He dares to get up in front of students and to challenge what's going on in Palestine, and he loses his job. There and somebody with not only loses his job, but somebody with his intellect cannot achieve a tenureship. That's position. exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's 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 working across the board. Now the hope has to be that. Younger generations, young women and men, Jews, Muslims, Palestinians, uh, Italians, wherever they may come from, um, are developing the ability to withstand the pressure, are formulating their own opinions, are resisting. And as they begin to push back against this effort to silence voices in academia, academia will have to become what it once was. And that's the marketplace of ideas. There are universities in, in New York, there are universities across this country that are fearful that the purse strings, whether they be pulled by state legislatures, whether they be pulled by APAC, whether they be pulled by the ADL, they're fearful of, of, of a narrative which creates tension. They don't want tension. 
They wish to control a very narrow, a very tight, and very disjointed um, overview of Israel, of Palestine, and, and, and of Zionism. You're right. There is nothing more fundamental about an attack on speech association and assembly than trying to silence the world of academia. Without the world of academia, without diversity in thought, without friction, tension, and challenge, we become zombies. Now, zombies is exactly what the ADL wants. Zombies is exactly what Israel aspires to. Zombies is exactly what Zionism has been for 130 years. A dutiful group of people that just nod their heads and say, yes, we want justice, but justice means you have to support Israel, you have to support Zionism, and you have to embrace the ADL, which is anything but committed to human rights, to free speech, to dignity, and to justice in this country or anywhere else in the world. In the political sphere, codifying as many rules and resolutions regarding Israel and anti-Semitism also remove it from the questioning public. For example, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance's working definition of anti-Semitism, or the IHRA. What is your opinion on this? Well, first of all, you have to separate the United States because we have a First Amendment. Uh, we don't have quote unquote hate speech. We don't have the ability of the state, although they're trying in terms of BDS and other speech to control the narrative in particular in certain parts of the United States. The ability to control good speech versus bad simply comes down to who controls the megaphone. If you're going to have free societies, if you're going to have healthy societies, if you're going to have communities, whether it be in the West or anywhere else in the world, that can prosper intellectually, that can grow as people, that can embrace human rights and international law, you have to allow for diversity. The paradox is some of the biggest opponents to the attacks on Gaza, to what's going on in Palestine, who have often accused Israel of genocide, are Holocaust survivors, are Jews, who many of whom still survive and live in Israel and point the finger at Israel and say, don't use us. Don't twist our history to suit your perpetuating that very evil. So the notion that you're going to set up this standard worldwide of good speech and bad speech, again, it's the cornerstone of ignorance, it's the cornerstone of hate, and it's the birth of power. Whoever controls that power will try to control the speech because a free society, a robust society, a community where you can express your opinions, where you can voice your positions, where you can challenge the status quo ante, poses a direct threat to people that aspire to control the narrative. That's Zionism, that's Israel, that's other states that support them blindly, and it's the ADL. I'd like to talk about the incident in 2019 when Ilhan Omar, uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, was criticized for stating that APAC, uh, the American-Israel Political Affairs Committee, has dual loyalty. ADL called on Congress to pass a resolution specifically against anti-Semitism. Instead, it resulted in a broader resolution condemning and I'm quoting here, hateful expressions of intolerance against African-Americans, Native Americans, and other people of color, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, immigrants, and others victimized by bigotry. This is not what uh, the ADL wanted because it just wanted to focus on anti-Semitism. Was this a slap in the face to it? 
Well, look, the reality of it is that that ADL has very has been very public and very clear. While it claims to embrace this broad coalition of justice and humanity and equality as opposed to hate, it's really only concerned with one issue, and that's playing as the mouthpiece for Israel and Zionism. I'm opposed to any effort, any attempt by Congress, by any state or by any entity in trying to control good speech versus bad speech, whether you like it or not. We have something in this country that stands us out against many other countries, in fact, all others, where speech becomes brigaded in action and is no longer protected. We went through that period in the beginning of the 20th century where Jews were targeted by political powers, by the FBI. It later had targeted people of color. We then had COINTELPRO, which basically was an attempt by the people in power to control the narrative, control the debate, and to control the discussion. Words can hate, words can sting, words can hurt. It doesn't make them a crime. ADL, like APAC, would like to see it. They would like to see people lose their jobs, people use their, lose their liberties, and indeed, in some cases, lose their lives because they have the audacity to speak what's in their heart, whether you like it or not. It's speech. What would ADL have done over the Skokie case when the Supreme Court ruled that Nazis and, 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 and the KKK had a right to march across a bridge, no matter how hateful it may have been? And it was upheld. And we have a history of it in this country. You may not like the speech. You may not like the narrative. It may hurt you. Don't go to a demonstration. Don't read a book. Turn off the television. But do not tell my children and my grandchildren and theirs to come what they can read, what they can say, and what they could feel. Hitler tried that, Mr. Greenblatt. Other fascists have tried that. I realize that's the agenda of Israel in Israel and worldwide. We don't accept. ADL also has a disturbing history of covert activity, and I started actually by the in introduction talking about the case of uh, 1993 when the FBI invaded the ADL's San Francisco offices, and I and, and had former policemen and others co collaborating with it to spy on Arab American activists, but also activists against the apartheid Af South Africa at the time. But also it has a disturbing history in, for example, 1983, the Middle East Studies Association demanded that the ADL disown a blacklist of academics and politicians whom it claimed, and I'm quoting here, use their anti-Zionism as merely a guise for their deeply felt anti-Semitism. The list was made to several dozen Jewish camp, uh, campus leaders, and it included at the time Senator James Abu Rizk, Professor Edward, uh, the late Edward Said, uh, Dr. Lawrence Mitchellak uh, from uh, UC Berkeley, and former Representative Pete McCloskey of, uh, of California. And I assume they still do the same thing. I mean, how, how do they get away with this? I mean, how, how do they get away by defaming people and creating lists and sharing its content with another state? Well, you know, there's been this, this battle running for decades now over FARA, over whether APAC or whether ADL or whether other organizations. And it's interesting that the Justice Department will indict individuals because they're unregistered supporters of, 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 of Putin. 
or they will indict people because they're doing work on behalf of China for failure to register, for paying lobbying fees, and for insinuating themselves into the body politic. But when it comes to Israel, they do not. And the practical matter is, for example, Biden is meeting with Netanyahu. Now, they're not going to meet at the White House as if that's a slap on the hands of the Zionist uh, uh, group. We're not going to meet there. But don't worry, we're going to give you your bags of money you can put on the plane and go back to Israel and use it to bomb Gaza. Don't worry. Um, we cherry pick depending upon, to some degree, who we can control, who we can work with. In the case of Israel, there's been this, and I, I don't get involved in the debate, does Israel dictate to the U.S. or U.S. dictate to Israel? It really doesn't matter because it's very clear we've had a very pernicious proxy relationship with Israel in the region for decades. It has done our bidding. It has taken positions generally which favor the United States and which the United States wants. And as long as Israel remains the proxy for United States international policy, and there are some disagreements once in a while, they're going to get a free pass. So at the very time where persons are indicted for relationships with Russia, relationships with China, relationships with other countries as unregistered lobbyists, Zionists have been getting along, have been getting away with it since 1948, and will continue as long as, in particular, there are Democrats right now that consider themselves progressives who stand up there and all day long talk about justice and equality. But the first words out of their mouth is that the, the, the concern is the security of Israel. And you, you then hear, and the dignity and respect of Palestinians. So to answer your question, is there a double standard? Yes, there's a double standard. Um, is there records? Is there is, is there evidence that that ADL and other Zionist entities have worked on behalf of United States policies, both within this country and abroad? Absolutely. And it's going to continue until such time as a generation of young leaders coming up right now say enough, no more. Well, I mean, shouldn't uh, if if their interest is about really focused on Israel, shouldn't APEC and the ADL be registered as a foreign agent? Oh, I've taken the position for years they should be registered as a foreign agent. They, you know, they they can all day long try to massage it, cover it by saying, "No, we're committed to human rights. We mark with we march with black women and men. We we are opposed to 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 Islamophobia." We are opposed to homophobia. We are opposed to the effort to control women's bodies and health care. They'll say that all day long. The reality of it is they build these relationships. They build these coalitions as subterfuge because if it were really about human rights, if it were really about equality, if it were really about dignity, they wouldn't be targeting Muslims, Palestinians, and those who stand up against it, their, their political agenda. They would, they would lie in bed with anyone that provides cover. You're absolutely right. That's been their rule since day one. And to the extent that they're very public, when you when you peel away the facade, they're very public and their dutiful, obedient support for Netanyahu and Israel, and the nation state, quote unquote, no matter who may be the prime minister at the time. But they're not held accountable. And that's because whether it be political campaign donations, whether it be political support, whether it be building this facade of solidarity with other groups under attack in this country, they become the convenient mouthpiece and megaphone, which speaks to a broader problem within this society. But at, the, at, at day's end, if you ask a very simple question about what comes first, ADL, APAC are very clear, Israel and Zionism. 
Everything else is secondary. No matter how many times they may say, oh, we share a community of aims, desires, and needs, it's nonsense. It's rhetoric and nothing more. And a final question about what's uh, kind of uh, being uh, debated on uh, social media, uh, Twitter or uh, X. And now we see... Uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, who was uh, actually recruited from Silicon Valley, is taking on uh, Elon Musk. And Elon Musk is taking, you know, uh, basically uh, Jonathan Greenblatt. Then I don't know if this is a coincidence or what. Uh, Netanyahu is flying to San Francisco to meet with Elon Musk. Uh, what's the connection here? A pox on all their houses. It's a germ, it's a blight, it's a disease. Let them feed off of one another. The reality of it is those two and Netanyahu clearly seek to control the narrative. As long as the narrative perpetuates their own personal agenda, their own personal view, they're going to perpetuate it and it takes the lead. So yes, at this point, Greenblatt is fighting with Musk, Musk with Greenblatt, and Netanyahu is coming in to pick up the pieces. A pox on both of their houses. Is it by design? Is it inadvertent? Or does, do you just reach a point where hate, no matter where it comes from, becomes so insidious, so pervasive that the likes of ADL and Musk end up going after one another? Because for political and purpose, political purposes and ends, it suits them at a given time and place. Stanley Cohen, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. That's the voice and the face of Stanley Cohen. He's an attorney and activist talking about basically the hypocrisy of Jamal, uh, of, the, of the ADL, the hypocrisy of the ADL somehow being the standard bearer of civil rights, despite its really dark history. Uh, you know, I mean, spying on Americans and uh, doing the dirty work for the apartheid state. Um, it's a pretty compelling story. I, I should say that the, the title uh, is a little bit deceiving, the standard bearing, that's kind of like a self-imposed uh, title, but also it is uh, buttressed and, 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 and aided by the US media because they always bring, uh, uh, you know, the, an ADL representative to talk about human rights issues. And of course, they work with the US government, despite, like as I said, this is really important, going back into the 80s and the 90s, their history of spying. Uh, and, and we know that very well, just right here, because they did it right here in San Francisco. That's right. Uh, in cooperation with the next police San Francisco SFPD officer who was uh, helping the ADL spy. To, to spy and collect names of activists and feeding these names to the Mossad, the Israeli Mossad, and at the same time feeding other activist na names who were involved in the 80s, uh, you know, who, was, who, who were against the apartheid regime in uh, South Africa. So imagine the, the ADL were helping both apartheid Israel and apartheid South Africa, and they got caught with their pants down. They got uh, taken to court. They had to pay a fine. Right. And then now they come, come back smelling like a rose, like nothing, well, nothing had happened. Well, what's really disturbing about this latest development, Jamal, is that the ADL is on the forefront of uh, working within 
uh, every state in the United States working with their Department of Education to implement this kind of uh, outlandish uh, anti-Semitism definition that nobody goes by but has been approved by the ADL to be implemented in schools so that you cannot voice any kind of criticism or have any kind of critical analysis of the apartheid state in terms of its human rights of, uh, violations or its ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. You can't, they're pushing these uh, departments of education nationwide to forbid any kind of critical analysis of the apartheid state. It's being spearheaded by the ADL and no one is calling them out on that. Well, Stanley Cohen is calling them out on that and others, of course. And, uh, and obviously uh, there is a charade here because they build yes. themselves themselves as a bastion for human rights in general but they focus on criticism of Israel and criticism of Zionism and conflating both with anti-Semitism. And once in a while, you'll see them putting a uh, press release, you know, uh, you know, supporting the African-American community or, or, or others. But their real focus, let's face it, their real focus is right. on muzzling any critics of Israel. That's exactly right, Jamal. They made a very strong statement. We, we don't have the time to talk about it today, but there's a very important uh, conference that's going on at UPenn next week called Palestine Rights, and it's about giving indigenous Palestinian writers uh, the opportunity to speak and talk about their experience of being Palestinian and writing about Palestine. And this is an academic conference at an Ivy League school that is being criticized by the ADL for being anti-Semitic. Where is the anti-Semitism? Well, because Palestinians are just speaking about their own unique history and indigenous experience of being ethnically cleansed, and they're trying to shut it down, Jamal. So that gives you another example of the ADL's hypocrisy in terms of how they confront these things. That's right. Moving on to our uh, next story, just Big uh, which, story, Jamal. Which, which you introduced. However, there's an update to that story. Oh, really? And now, both Israel and the United States, actually the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs, denied uh, the reports that efforts to reach a normalization deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel had been halted on Monday. Because last week, as you've, you've mentioned, there was a leak saying that MBS... He wasn't getting he wasn't getting an answer from Benjamin Netanyahu because he put he outlined a bunch of conditions saying okay right. if you want us you know, want us to talk about this we want to include the Palestinians and this is what we want to see happening on the ground and of course Benjamin Netanyahu ignored any of these demands just like they did that uh, with the UAE and 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 we know that infamous speech on. Uh, in the White House uh, when the UAE representative right. came and said, we're doing it for the Palestinians. We want to stop <laughs> settlement buildings. Right. Yeah. We've, seen what, happened. We've seen yeah. what happened with the settlement buildings and the right. ethnic cleansing and right. all these things since that thing happened. No one talks about that. They just like, like to kind of clap their hands and say, the Abraham Accords. It's all about trade and making money and, and allowing Israel to fly to the UAE and allowing Israelis to fly and allowing their airlines to fly over their airspace and so forth. But nothing, no improvements to the Palestinians. So, so no, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. Doesn't want to fall into the same trap, supposedly. 
and uh, and we've heard last week it was halted, but now they're denying it. Now, what- well, look, but but Jamal, look at who's denying it. It's the United States and Israel that are denying it. Have you heard anything from Saudi Arabia uh, that have uh, contradicted the leak? And let's be very clear: this leak by uh, a close. Aleph. Aleph, yeah, it's, a, it's Aleph, an Arab right, news, yeah. which is a direct mouthpiece of MBS and the and the monarchy, uh, hasn't been hasn't been challenged uh, by the monarchy about from MBS or from the prime minister office or the foreign minister's office in Saudi Arabia. I mean, I think, I mean, we we understand the complexities of MBS and and the place that he you know he situates himself. I mean, they just condemned to death someone who posted a critical comment on Twitter about the about the regime. Right. Be that as it may, it might be that this is a bargaining maneuver by MBS to try to extract more for the Palestinians. I mean, Abu Mazen uh, was, in fact, in Saudi Arabia the last week or so, trying to see what, you know, trying to see what MBS was up to. So who knows? But I do believe... And you correct me if I'm wrong. This leak wouldn't have happened unless it had the blessing of MBS. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that website uh, or news site uh, would not be in existence if they did something that went against uh, the Saudi uh, government, and uh, or they didn't want them to do it. So, uh, so you know, like according according to basically to the website, they basically, <clears throat> and I'm going to see here. Uh, the Arab news outlet Elif recently, which cited an unnamed Israeli official in the prime minister's office as saying that Saudi Arabia had informed the Biden administration of its decision to halt. They put it on the on the Israelis all normalization uh, ties with Israel, and the and then according to its report, the 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 Aleph report. Riyadh issued a message through the U.S. explaining that the extremist nature of Israel's right-wing government, led by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, is, and here I'm quoting, torpedoing any possibility of rapprochement with the Palestinians and thus with the Saudis. That sounds like it's true, Jamal. I mean, that is true. I mean, uh, if you look at what Ben Gavir and Smotrich have said, it's kind of interesting because let's look at the apartheid side of this. Both of them issued statements saying we're not going to change anything in terms of our occupation of of Palestine. They refer to it as Judea and Samaria. Uh, they continue to deny the existence of Palestinians. They continue continue to deny the existence of the occupation. They continue to build these illegal colonial settlements and continue to portray the Palestinians as nothing nothing less than just kind of animals who happen to be in uh, Judea and Samaria. So why, why, and they've said that in this last week when Saudi Arabia was trying this raw approachment, as you said. So they're saying these things publicly. Why would MBS go along with that kind of charade? Well, my own issue with this, the idea of actually having normalization talks with uh, the apartheid regime of Israel is ludicrous. It is, and and it should not have had happened to begin with. And but now it's happening because we know 
the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States. And Saudi Arabia is trying also, not just because of the love of peace and Palestinians and so forth, they're trying, as, as you've mentioned, to extract a lot of demands, including having nuclear power in the country and, and, right. and, and, and other things. And more military want. support. And more military support and so forth before they go through with it. But at the same time, Saudi Arabia is different than the UAE. It's different and I'm talking about its political weight in the region. Right. What's the political weight uh, of the UAE in the region? Not much. Nothing. Same thing with Morocco. Not much. And although, you know, I just watched today a video in Morocco about people angry with the normalization with Israel and, and someone basically chanting, said, I'm Moroccan, I'm against it, and so forth, sending messages to the king. Because we know these things are done by governments and not by people, but nevertheless, Saudi Arabia, you know, has a lot of weight. It's a, it's a very, very wealthy country. It's a powerful country. It provides uh, financial aid to the Palestinians, provides financial aids to Lebanon, other countries, to Egypt. So that actually would be, in my opinion, devastating. It, this normalization is just basically the last nail to liquidate the Palestinian issues, you right. know, as far as as far as uh, Arab support. Because once Saudi Arabia does that, other Arab countries are going to follow. So, and then the Palestinians will be left alone to fend for themselves. No, I think that's exactly right, Jamal. And um, it's been interesting. And I don't know. And I'm sure you've noticed this. In the last couple of weeks, there have been all these love stories written about the Abraham Accords, kind of singing the praises of the Abraham Accords and how successful they've been. It's a big joke. Sure. There's nothing the successful about it. Israelis can sell their products in the UAE and that's they all can, it can is. go and have a vacation in Dubai and shop at the Dubai Mall that's and so it. forth. But that's about it. But, but And that, that's, that's got to be part of the Israeli plan to kind of peddle this kind of BS. You also have been reading stories about, uh, well, why not? What's wrong with Oslo? <laughs> I mean, this has been a real crazy week for repackaging the apartheid state. I mean, that's basically what's going on right now. This is an attempt by the U.S. government, by the uh, Hasbaristas in the apartheid state to rebrand the Abraham Accords and the Oslo Accords as this crowning achievement towards this normalization. It's a big joke. That's right. Moving on to our next story, Jazz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a big story. And this is, we're taking it from the title of a report published by Israel's largest human rights organization, B'Tselem. It's also, it's also the Israel's human rights organizations that labeled Israel as an apartheid state. Right. Before other organizations, before Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and others said so. They have a report called The Pogroms are working the transfer is already happening i mean i mean that the title itself it's provoking but they go yeah. through if if one reads this report i mean these this is an israeli organization working on the ground and i've i've, I've actually i've known I've, I've come across the the people who work for them and they go to the west bank and they go to settlements and they go to um farms and so forth, and they document attacks by the settlers on Palestinians and incidents and, and stealing their water and their resources and, and so forth. They put this report because 
you know, they've been supplying a lot of, uh, providing a lot of reports, but this is really a report just since the beginning of the year, since really the takeover by the Kahanists of the Israeli government. Right. And they talk and said, even though this is not something new, because they say for decades, Israel has employed a slew of measures designed to make life uh, for Palestinians, uh, Palestinian communities throughout the West Bank, miserable to push them away from their land. But they have accelerated this. That's right. To the... 10th degree just within the past few months and they've been for the first time in a way working or encouraging settler violence to use it as another tool just for Israel to employ to further torment Palestinians living in these communities and these attacks have grown significantly so they go area by area village by village giving a whole, you know, background from polluting drinking water to burning olive trees to physical attacks on on Palestinian farmers and killing their sheep to burning homes, setting fields on fire. It's will raise the hair of, you know, of your back just reading this report because it's very well documented. And of course... This report is shared with other human rights organizations, international human rights organizations, the UN. Do you hear anybody talking about it right here in the United States? No, no, Jamal. And that's why this story is so important compared to the story that we just talked about regarding the so-called normalization with the apartheid state, because these are contradictory forces. On the one hand, you find the speed with which the ethnic cleansing of the apartheid state is accelerating against indigenous Palestinians in the West Bank, in Gaza too, in terms of its shutdown and uh, blockade, as well as in Jerusalem right now, Jamal. So you see this acceleration of this ethnic cleansing at a time when you have the United States and you know Benjamin Netanyahu talking about normalization with the Arab world. It's enough to make you want to pull your hair out. But back to your question. Is anybody talking about it? No. The Bet Salem report was released because, you know, this week is the General Assembly meeting at the United Nations, right? And we'll see if this gets discussed at the United Nations, if this gets discussed by Antony Blinken. We have heard nothing from the State Department here at the United States. And Jamal, remember, end of, end of uh, September, the visa waiver program, we're going to get the final decision. So we'll see whether or not these reports, which really clarify the ugliness and the reality of the apartheid state, has any influence on all this other kind of attempt at normalization and basically, Jamal, rewarding the apartheid state for its ethnic cleansing. I mean, these reports, it's very important to know because I, I, I've read where, where they go to. They, yeah. go to, they go to the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. Right. They go to the United Nations. They go to the EU. So, so it's not like total oblivion or, well, it is oblivion, but it is not, it's not total ignorance. No, they can't say we didn't know. No, they know about these reports. And this is, I'm just going to read for you a sentence here on the methodology that they have documented and how Israel uh, and how uh, this, how forcible transfer begins and ends for these Palestinian communities. 
and I'm quoting here from the Betsalem report, Israel works to make the lives of residents in communities located in areas it covets miserable to the point that they can no longer take it and uproot themselves, leaving their homes and land for the state to take. This policy is implemented using two parallel tracks, given a stamp of approval by military orders, legal advisors, and the Supreme Court, the state evicts Palestinians from their land. In the other parallel track, uh, settlers use violence against Palestinians, aided and abetted by state forces, and sometimes with their participation. This policy has led to the forcible transfer of at least six communities but many other communities throughout the West Bank experience the same brutality and are under an immediate threat of expulsion. And that's why they put the titles like combination of land grab and pogroms going on at the same time. The government of apartheid Israel and the settlers working in tandem to ethnically cleanse Palestinians from their indigenous land. So let's... Let's reward the apartheid state for that, Jamal. Let me, I mean, because look at, look at everything that's happened. Benjamin Netanyahu is going to meet with Musk. He's going to go to the United Nations and meet in New York with uh, President Biden. Uh, normalization with other Arab countries. It's so unbelievable in terms of its depth and breadth of denial of the atrocities being committed by the apartheid state. And yet the apartheid state gets all these little uh, goodies. They get reinforced because I think, Jamal, they have this belief, which is wrong, that if we are if we don't criticize the apartheid state, maybe they'll throw some crumbs to the Palestinians. I mean, it's such an ignorant assumption because it's never proven to be correct. Never. The only thing that works with the apartheid state is to isolate it, like we isolated apartheid South Africa, isolate it economically, boycott it until it comes to its senses. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows, and we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Thank you.